Curtin Cade mornings, not just on the radio. It's a podcast, too. Christian biographer and our good friend Vance Christie back with us, chatting about the life of one of uh, the great heroes of the faith, at least as far as we're concerned, Corey Ten Boom. Yes, and we know Vance really does his uh, his due diligence and came out with some great stuff about someone we, we all know and love, Corey Ten Boom. You're going to like this conversation. Trust me. Hi, Vance. Welcome. How you doing? Good morning, Kurt and Kate. I'm doing well, and it's a treat to be back with you today. All right, so you've got a book out called Women of Faith and Courage, and you highlight the stories of several godly women, uh, women that God used in amazing ways. Fanny Crosby, the hymn writer, Catherine Booth, uh, Mary Slessor, Susanna Wesley, and then you talk about Corey Ten Boom. And there are those who are not aware of her story. So let's get the backstory. What do we know about Corey's upbringing and her early adult years of, of ministry, even before we got to World War II? Corey grew up in the home of um, her parents, Casper and Cor, in Harlem, Holland. She had an older brother and two older sisters, and also they had three aunts, the sisters of her mother, who shared their home there in Harlem, Holland. Corey completed secondary school, high school, at at age 16, and then she earned a diploma from a Bible school there in Harlem at age 26. For several years, she helped with heavy home responsibilities, um, because her mother, one of her sisters, and all three of the aunts who lived with them had health problems. And then beginning at age 27, Corey helped her father with the family business. He was a a watchmaker, um, clockmaker, and she, in fact, went to school in Switzerland, watchmaking school, and became the first licensed woman watchmaker in Holland. With regard to her um, Christian service, for more than 10 years, from Corey's later 20s to her later 30s, the Ten Booms cared for nearly 20 foster children in their home, as many as as seven kids at a time um, they had in their home. At the same time, Corey taught Sunday school at church and Bible classes in the public schools. And for more than two decades, from her later 20s to her later 40s, she organized and oversaw several girls' clubs that had hundreds of students who attended them, were led by scores of leaders, and Corey was the organizing um, individual heading that very broad um, girls club ministry, which, by the way, um, not only promoted moral emphases, but had explicit Christian emphases that it promoted. And then one other fascinating ministry that Corey carried out for 20 years, again, during her Um, from her late 20s to her late 40s, she had a weekly Sunday afternoon, what she called special special church service 
for people with learning disabilities. She had a real mm-hmm. heart for those individuals, so had that weekly ministry to them. And it's fascinating to me, most of us know Corey's story beginning in her later 40s when the events of World War II began to descend on her and her family. But um, as I've just rehearsed, she had these decades of faithful Christian service, um, very active and fruitful before those World War II years. I'm so glad you outlined all of that. Because a lot of times we just uh, skip right to the story of World War II and hiding the Jews. Um, we don't think about how God prepared her for this. I think that's that's how wonderful. She lived her life, and yeah. how she lived her life. It was an extension of who she she was, and in fact, that's true of her entire family. So, how did the family begin uh, hiding the Jewish folks there as the Nazis were? Uh, you know, obviously present, and and uh, how did that all unfold? Did it start with just one, uh, one person, or was it one family? How did it begin? Yes, um, Germany occupied neutral Holland in May of 1940, and Corey was 48 years old at the time. And just six months later, the Jews there in Holland um, were banned from schools and many other um, public places, whole Jewish families were taken off to prison camps. And seeing this, beginning the next year, the Ten Booms began helping Jewish acquaintances find homes in safer rural districts. They also supplied them, um, they supplied food ration cards and forged identification papers for scores of Jews and at-risk Dutch people each month. Also, they assisted people who were called underdivers. Those were Dutch men who went into hiding to avoid forced conscription um, to work in German ammunition factories. And if they refused to do that, then they were sent to prison. So the... um, the Ten Booms helped to shelter a few of those underdivers as well. Hmm. So, for nine and a half months, the Ten Booms secretly housed a fluctuating number of individuals in their home. They had six permanent refugees living with them. Three were Jews, two were underdivers, and one was a Dutch teacher who was at risk. You know, what's interesting, too, is uh, um, the way that they built this secret room in in the house and the way they had it all set up so that if they saw the Nazis, then everybody would, uh, if you've seen the movie, you can kind of picture that, where they would all scramble and and they would hide. I think it was, uh, they they built a a room, uh, it was behind a closet, right? There was a false wall at the back of the closet? Yes, that was actually in Corey's upstairs bedroom. Um, at the back of her bedroom, they built the false wall that you just mentioned. And um, then there was a sliding door through the back of a closet um, that people could enter this small chamber. It, it was actually very small, two and a half feet deep, 
six and a half feet long and eight or nine feet high. And when the, when the Gestapo came to the Tin Boom home um, on February 28, 1944, these six hideaways um, rushed into that little chamber that was called the Angel Crib. They were um, not detected there. And um, they were able to safely escape a few days later. It was quite a different story for the Ten Boom family members themselves. Um, Corey's dad, she and her three siblings, and 30 other people who rushed to their home that day to sound the, sound the alarm to give the warning that there was trouble in town and the Gestapo was raiding homes. Um, the Ten Booms and 30 of their acquaintances were taken off to a um, nearby federal penitentiary. Corey's dad died just 10 days later in prison. Her brother and sister, Willem and Nolly, were released after a few weeks, but then Willem was later rearrested and executed. Um, Corey and Betsy were incarcerated at three different prisons, including a German concentration camp. And um, in the latter half of that same year, that they, pardon me, in the final month of that same year, that they were arrested, Betsy was released to heaven, and Corey, through a clerical error, was released to return to Holland. Yes, it's fascinating, right. the clerical yeah. error. We know <laughs> that God's hand yeah. was in the midst of that situation. Mm-hmm. You dust that scene for fingerprints, you're going to find his fingerprints there. Thank you for taking some time to listen to this episode of the Curtain Cape Mornings podcast. We always welcome a review with your thoughts and comments, and please feel free to subscribe and follow us as well. We're talking about Corey Ten Boom, and uh, joining us is Vance Christie. Again, the name of his book, he has an entire chapter on Corey, Women of Faith and Courage. I just love to talk about the, uh, the issue of God's providence in our lives. And when I think about Corey being released, the Lord saw fit to release her and Betsy, who was uh, just a, sounds like a lovely person as well, yeah. and she was a woman of faith too. You've got this dynamic. Okay, Corey was released. Betsy was released to go home to heaven. Sometimes we wonder about those kinds of things. You know, why did God uh, do this for one person and not the other? That's an interesting thing to ponder, isn't it? It certainly is, and while we say she was released through a clerical layer, you, um, Kurt and Kate, have rightly pointed out a moment ago that there was no air to it. It was God's perfect providence, and um, whether it be welcoming one of his children home to heaven or um, releasing them, as was the case with Corey, um, from her horrific um, circumstances that she had been enduring and then using her to bring the message of God's hope and forgiveness and love to others. Um, we see in either event that God's providence was indeed perfect and that his perfect 
plans were fulfilled in the lives of both his children, Corey and Betsy. And look at look at what we're doing right now. We're talking about Betsy's faith, even though uh, you know Corey was released and Betsy, uh, you know, went home to be with the Lord. We're still talking about Betsy's legacy. You know, there's yes. this snapshot when they were in uh, the concentration camp, and the fleas were really really bad. Oh, the yes. flea story. Vance, mm-hmm. share that story with us. It's awesome. It truly is a wonderful story. Corey went out day after day um, to work outside the barracks where she and Betsy were housed. Betsy needed to stay behind and um, was part of a knitting group. They knitted socks um, for the prisoners there at the camp. And they never could understand why the prison guards would not come back into the interior of the um of the barrack um, to check up on them. And one day when, and by the way, in the interior of the barrack, that was where they had um, evening Bible readings that Corey and Betsy would carry out for whichever prisoners cared to be part of that. So one day, Corey came back in from her work detail outside the barracks, and Betsy just seemed extremely pleased. So Corey asked her why she looked um, so um, pleased, and she said, Well, we learned today why the guards never come in inside the barracks to bother us. Um, and, And that day... Um, a guard had made the passing comment um, that I uh, we're not going in that place. It's crawling with fleas. Mm. <laughs> and <laughs> when, when they had first arrived at the barracks, Corey thought um, she couldn't possibly endure all these fleas that were in the uh, in in the barracks there, but. Um, they came to realize that that was actually a way that God um, was protecting them and giving them some privacy so that they could minister to their fellow prisoners. Let's thank God for the fleas. Okay. Yes, that's there's, hard. There's a lesson right <laughs> oh, <yeah>. there. There's, <laughs> a, there's so many lessons we can pick up from, uh, from Corey's life. Um, what are some, some big highlights? Of course, she was released, and then the Lord opened the door for unbelievable ministry. Okay, here's another snapshot. I know I, I didn't necessarily uh, tell you ahead of time, Vance, I was going to bring this up, but I'm going to bring it up anyway because we're friends. Uh, it's the it's the incident of uh, she was, it was after the war, and she's starting to speak a little bit, and she's speaking, I don't remember where it was, but there was a German, um, a, a guy who was, a, I think he was a German prison guard where, in Ravensburg, where she was, and he was one of the most cruel guards there, and he was in the audience, you know, and listening to her share her story, and after she spoke, he came up to her and engaged her in a conversation Wow, this was one of those stories she would tell, and every time she told it, if you go on YouTube, she, you can find her sharing a story. Um, this was a very powerful moment. I think it was a crossroads in her walk with Jesus. What do you think? 
Well, I'm glad you brought this particular story up, Mark, because I had hoped to share it. <laughs> yeah, good. <laughs> this is a good one. <laughs> the year was 1947, so it's two years after World War II had ended, and Corey felt led that year to minister in the one country she dreaded, which was Germany. Um, that country that year... Um, still lay in ruins, nine million homeless people, people living in tumble-down buildings and deserted army trucks. And um, Corey spoke um, at a church in Munich, and after the service, as you mentioned, she saw a man coming down the aisle toward her, and um, as soon as she saw him, she remembered the horrific day when she and Betsy arrived at the processing center of Ravensbrück, which was the German concentration camp that they were um, held in. And that day, when they arrived, um, the female prisoners needed to strip down completely bare and walk through a a walk past a collection of sneering, mocking German guards into the shower room. And then when they came out, they were um, clothed in, in the prisoners' garments. But um, she immediately recognized this man coming down the church aisle toward her as being one of those mocking guards but now he came up to her, and he was beaming and bowing, and his hand was extended to shake hers. And he said, how grateful I am for your message, Fraulein, to think that, as you say, Christ has washed my sins away. And then he said, you mentioned Ravensbrook in your talk. I was a guard there. But since that time, I have become a Christian. I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things I did there. Fraulein, will you forgive me? And Corey testifies that for what seemed like hours, she stood there with her hands at her side, and she simply couldn't bring her hand up to shake his hand, and he continued to hold his hand out, extended to her to shake her hand. And, and she felt no warmth toward him. And instead, she had these angry, vengeful thoughts that were rolling through her mind. And she more than once prayed, um, Lord Jesus, I cannot forgive him. Give me your forgiveness. And at last, she says, she mechanically reached out and grasped his hand. And as she did so, a warmth and love for this man sprang into her heart and brought tears to her eyes. And she cried out, I forgive you, brother, with all my heart. And she later testified, and so I discovered that it is not on our forgiveness any more than on our goodness that the world's healing hinges, but on His. 
When he tells us to love our enemies, he gives, along with the command, the love itself. All right, Corey Ten Boom. Hmm. Mm. She was so quotable, for instance. Yeah. I'm just going to share a few quotes. So I could share a ton, but I'll just I'll try to resist that <laughs> temptation. Uh, there is no pit so deep that God's love is not deeper still. Yes. Never be afraid to trust an unknown future to unknown God. There's no panic in heaven. God has no problems, only plans. And here's another good one. I'll stop at this one. Worry does not empty tomorrow of its sorrow. It empties today of its strength. Wow. Mm -hmm. God taught her an awful lot. Yeah. And isn't it, I mean, it's especially powerful coming from someone who we know went through what she went through. She didn't come out and say, oh, well, there's nothing good. She came out and said, God's more powerful than I ever knew. Yes. Vance, she was an overcomer, no doubt about it. Absolutely. And I so appreciate the two of you emphasizing that. I was having the exact same thought as you were reading those quotes just now. Um, These were deep down spiritual lessons that um, Corey learned through the tremendous uh, adversity, the horrific adversity that she lived through when everything was stripped away from her, um, but the Lord was teaching her profound lessons about himself. And um, what a refreshing example to see a follower of Christ who, rather than growing bitter and turning away from him, instead grew deeper in her faith and was able to be used of the Lord to help um, tens of thousands of people in very profound ways, um, sharing the lessons she had learned. Yeah, and that's exactly what happened. You know, uh, we all, those of us who love Corey, probably can point to a favorite book that she wrote that we love. Of course, The Hiding Place is, the, that's easy to choose that one. But right. my personal I think that's favorite. the first, right? Yeah. My personal favorite is Tramp for the Lord. Vance, have you read that one? Mm, I have. Um, it's full of stories about her um, 30 plus years of traveling around the world in the post World War II era, um, sharing the message of God's forgiveness and love. And she wrote another great book um, that's quite similar called Jesus is Victor. Yes. And um, it also <laughs> is full of just one tremendous. Um, illustration after another of the lessons that God was teaching her. Yeah, that's my second favorite. So, (laughs) you've got number one and number two. (laughs) You know, there was a book that came out, uh, as a lady who was with her in her final years. Corey had a stroke, and she was bedridden for many years. It's called The Five Silent Years of Corey Ten Boom. Um, Mm. This, you know, a lot of people don't even um, think about this part of her life. She was faithful to the end, and boy, she had some challenges those last few years. Mm. She certainly did. Um, Starting, as you mentioned, four or five years before her death, she actually went to home to be with the Lord in heaven on her 91st birthday. So, late in her 80s, um, she began having a series of strokes 
that ultimately left her bedridden and not even able to verbally communicate. And many people thought that um, God would graciously take her home soon to be with himself in heaven. But instead, in one, in one of the um, mysterious instances of God's perfect providence, he um, allowed her to linger on for four or five years. And, and yet, um, a number of people who came to visit her during those years, though she could not even communicate verbally with them, they testified what a blessing it was to go in and to talk to her, to visit um, with her, a, a one-sided visit, but they could sense her peace and even her joy, even under those circumstances. So, they went away saying what a great blessing it was to visit with her, even when she was in that condition. Hmm. Faithful to the very end. Vance, yes. thanks so much for being with us. Women of Faith and Courage. There's a whole chapter on Corey Ten Boom, but these other ladies that uh, Vance highlights, these are great heroes of the faith as well. Vance, we're not going to chat with you again until next year. Merry Christmas to you and your family. The same to you, Kurt and Kate, and thanks for the great privilege to come and and converse a bit this morning about this great woman of faith and to celebrate how God worked so wonderfully in and through her life. Thanks for listening to Curtin Kate Morning's podcast. Please take a minute to follow, subscribe, and review us. And no matter where in the world you are, you can listen to us live from 6 to 9 a.m. weekdays on the Moody Radio app.